for downloading this Downtown Hope Sermon Podcast. We're a faith-based community in the city of Annapolis, Maryland, orienting our lives around Jesus and exist to see the people of our city, region, and world thrive with the hope found in his gospel. Now, please enjoy the Sermon Podcast. This morning, I'm excited to begin our new series in the book of Philippians, as Jen and as Colin mentioned, titled Press On. So I want to begin uh, by reading, and we're just going to look at the first 11 verses this morning here. Uh, So I'd like to read it, and then we'll jump right in together. Philippians chapter 1, starting in verse 1. Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi, with the overseers and deacons. Grace to you and peace from God, our Father, and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine, for you all making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. It is right for me to feel this way about you all because I hold you in my heart. For you all are partakers with me of grace, both in my imprisonment and in defense and confirmation of the gospel. For God is my witness how I, lear- how I yearn for you all with the affection of, G- of Christ Jesus. And it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment so that you may so that you may approve what is excellent, and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. And this is God's beautiful, active, living word for our lives. There's a race that happens in Annapolis every summer. Some of you are familiar with it. It's called the Annapolis 10-Miler. It's an incredible race if you've ever run it. It's just, and if, if, if you live in our city or you live in the nearby area, you've got to run it one year. You've got to train for it if you haven't ever run 10 miles. And a few years back, Katie and I decided to run it together. We ran it for a few years in a row. And it was an incredible opportunity to run a race together. And you take off around the stadium and then you run downtown. I just remember uh, I've shared before coming around Church Circle and, and down Main Street. I'm just like, I love this city. I'm just weeping. My heart is just breaking and, and in love with the people of our city and our area here and that they would meet Jesus. And so I'm running and praying and Katie and I are trekking along and then, you know, we keep running and, 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 and you go out and, and about seven, mile seven, mile eight, you start to get a little tired because, you know, I'm not like a professional runner and this is you know, not something that I do regularly. And then at the end of the race, you kind of loop all the way up, um, and then you're coming back down near the World, World War II uh, Memorial Bridge, and you come to the base of the bridge. And this is an intense moment in the race, because you've been running now probably for eight, eight and a half, maybe even nine miles. And you stand at the base of this bridge, and you just see there's a hill in front of you. And you're like, I... I was like, I mean, some people were just trucking right up, and I was like, I don't know if I can make it up this hill. But Katie and I, we truck on, and, and, we, and we press on, and we run, we run together up this bridge. 
And then you come down and you feel, you know, you come down the other side of the bridge. It's so steep and you just feel like, ah, I got some wind. Okay, great. And you come down to the other side of the bridge and you're like, is this the end yet? Because it feels like it should be the end of 10 miles, but it's not the end of 10 miles. And then what you see in front of you is another hill, another hill. And I don't know if you've ever been in this place before, but in that moment, I'm just like, I don't know. I don't think I can do this. My muscles are tightening up. I'm in such pain. I, it's almost like I'm just willing my legs to go forward. And like everything I had trained for to finish this race felt like it was such an impossible task. It's not the hill that was the problem. It's the hill that comes after the hill. And I didn't think I could make it. And if you're like me, you know that life at times is like a race. It's like a race, and we all come to that place at some point where there's a hill after the hill. And we've been through a hill, downtown Hope. Wherever you're watching this this morning, in your home, on your computer, with friends, with family, you know the last six months have been an incredible hill. And in a way, we've kind of peeked over the hill, and we're coming down, and we have a little bit of a wind, a little bit of wind. And yet, there's a hill in front of us, and we know it, and we see it. We're not through the finish line yet with this season of COVID and we're not through the finish line yet of life here in this world. The Lord has things to do in us and through us. And we all come to that place where we feel like we can't go on. And what do you do? In 49, around 49 AD, the Apostle Paul shows up in this town called Philippi. It's a little bit like Annapolis. It's a town where Roman retired generals lived. And if you follow the progression of how he lands in Philippi, it's in Acts chapter 16, and you know that he and his friends wanted to go east, but then he got this call to say no. The Lord called him. There was a man from Macedonia in a vision that he got in a dream. And so he goes across and he lands in Philippi. And we find this in Acts chapter 16, starting in uh, 16 to 24. And I just want to read it to us here so we have a little bit of context as we begin walking through this incredible book through the fall. Acts chapter 16, picking up in verse 11. So setting sail from Troas, we made a direct voyage to Samothrace and following the following day to Neapolis and from there to Philippi, which is the leading city in the district of Macedonia and a Roman colony. We remained in the city some days. This is the first uh, you know, first voyage, or this is Paul's second missionary journey and the first time he lands in Philippi. And on the Sabbath day, we went outside to the gate by the riverside where we supposed there was a place of prayer and we sat down and spoke to the women who had come there together. He got a vision from a man in Macedonia and he goes and he finds a handful of women. I love how the Lord works sometimes. One who heard us was a woman named Lydia from the city of Thyatira, a seller of purple goods who was a worshiper of God. The Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what was being said by Paul. And after she was baptized and her whole household as well, she urged us saying, if you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come to my house and stay. And she prevailed upon us. And in a moment, the gospel of the kingdom breaks into Philippi, into Lydia's home, and the church there, a local church, was born. It's an incredible account. From there, Paul and his friends caused some trouble. They get locked up in prison. 
uh, it ends up there miraculously uh, released from prison. Uh, and through that circumstance, the jailer in Philippi there ends up meeting Jesus Christ himself. And yet, boom, another community, another local church there in the church of Philippi is born. It's an incredible story. The first church that we know of that Paul planted in the continent of Europe. And now it's 10 years later, around 62 AD, and Paul finds himself in a different prison. He's not in a prison in Philippi. Now he's in a prison in Rome. In fact, he's in a prison in Caesar's palace himself, most scholars believe. And he writes this letter to his friends in Philippi. Because where Paul was in this moment was at the base of the hill after the hill. And where his friends were in Philippi facing persecution and, and ready to face suffering because this gospel, this news, this revolutionary message of Jesus had been spreading across the Roman world and it had been causing trouble. And people had started to get locked up. Paul's in prison. And he writes his friends in Philippi to encourage them because they're at the hill after the hill, at the base of the hill after the hill. And they're discouraged I mean, they're disheartened, and you can, you can hear this through Paul's letter. And the question is, what will become of this fledgling little, uh, you know, band of disciples? What will become of this precious little local church that's been growing over the last 10 years? Will she become the beautiful bride that Christ sees her to be? Or will she become anemic? Or will she collapse and you know what? There's a lot of people asking that question about the church right now. What's going to happen with the church? I mean, what, what does COVID do to the church? Does everything fall apart? Is it just screens for, from here on out? Are big buildings going to be left empty? Will the church die? Is the church dead? I mean, there's a lot of different perspectives if you, if you read out there right now. What, how, how is this whole thing impacting the church of Jesus Christ. And in this moment, Paul writes this letter to his brothers and sisters at Philippi. And he has a lot, lot of words for them that we're going to be studying this fall, but, but you could sum it up in two words he has for them. We find those two words in Philippians chapter 3, verse 12. The two words are the title of our series. Paul says, press on. You're at the base of the hill after the hill. I see the hill before you. The Lord sees the hill before you. Now is not the time to shrink back. Now is not the time to become lazy. Now is not the time to get insecure. Now is not the time to go hide. Now is not the time to become apathetic, to become cynical. Now is the time, Paul says, to press on. He says it in verse 12, not that I have already obtained this or am already made perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Verse 14, he says, I press on, same word, towards the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. This word in Greek, literally, if you were to translate it, means, it's, it, or figuratively, it's the imagery of one who is in a race, who's at the end of the race, who presses on swiftly to finish to the end line, to the finish line. And section after section, 
through this, I mean, this is an incredible letter. I mean, it, we are gonna plunge the depths of it. We're gonna be studying it verse by verse in the daily. We're gonna be studying it verse by verse in our gatherings. It's chapter one, through Christ's suffering, press on. When you face suffering, press on. Chapter two, in Christ's humility, press on. In chapter three, by Christ's righteousness, press on. Chapter four, in Christ's provision, be content in every situation and generous in every situation to press on. There is word after word, topic after topic, thought after thought that Paul is just continuing to encourage his brothers and sisters. The race is not over. You are at the hill, at the base of the hill, after the hill. I know you're tired. I know you're exhausted. I know you're suffering. I know you're facing hardship. But he says, press on. And this morning, Paul begins his letter in these first 11 verses with the thing that we all need in this moment when we are feeling utterly discouraged and utterly disheartened. And it's amazing. It's, it's deceptively simple what he begins with here. He, 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 he gives and he offers his brothers and sisters in Philippi words of encouragement <laughs> to press on. He starts with just words of encouragement to press on. To press on, we have to work out of a foundation, out of a resource, out of a strength. And God uses people as a means of grace, Paul in this circumstance, to his brothers and sisters in Philippi to offer them deep heart encouragement through words. And there's three phrases that I want us to learn and to remember this morning. We find it right here in these 11 verses that I want us to practice this week. It's a chance for you with your family, with your friends, with your roommates, with your brothers and sisters in Christ, in your communities to be intentional to practice these three phrases that we find uh, uh, in the heart and the essence of these 11 verses. One is looking at a brother or sister and just looking at them and saying, You bring me joy. We're going to look at that in a minute. Secondly, I have confidence in what Christ is doing in you. And lastly, I am with you and praying for you. I'm with you in prayer for you. So first, let's look at the first five verses. You bring me joy. Paul and Timothy, Paul writes, servants of Christ Jesus, first of all, he starts with them as a team. Philippians is written in collaboration. I love it. The Spirit of God is clearly using Paul as the point leader, but Timothy is right there with him. He addresses to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi, the overseers and deacons. He talks, he speaks to the people of the church. He speaks to the leadership of the church, and he gives them this uh, regular uh, greeting that he gives, grace and peace from God and our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. All of the things that he is gonna say through this letter for Paul is flowing from the Holy Spirit inspiring him through the Father and the Son to encourage, to encourage this local band of brothers and sisters. In verse three, he says this, I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for you, all making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. Paul can't help but start this letter when he thinks about his friends at Philippi, his brothers and sisters. His heart is overflowing with joy and thanksgiving for their lives. 
One of the most discouraging things we face in our world today is this lie that the enemy sows into us that we are insignificant, that we don't matter, that we don't show up anywhere on anybody's radar, that we uh, you know, don't really, eat, our existence doesn't even matter. And yet here at the beginning, Paul says with profound words of encouragement, when I think about you, I am thankful. When I think about you, my heart is filled with joy. I am so thankful that God created you. I'm so thankful that you are a human being in my life. I'm so thankful that you're my friend. I'm so thankful that you're part of this local church. I'm so thankful that we get to do life together. When I think about you, I remember you, I pray for you, and as I pray for you, my heart is welling up with joy. Can you imagine if we were a church that when we saw our brothers and sisters in Christ, I mean, you don't have to say it in your own way, but like just saying that to another person. Do you know, I, I am so thankful that you are in my life. I'm so thankful for this aspect of how God created you. I am filled with joy when I think about you. That's a word of encouragement that we need as we're facing discouragement. In the call to press on, we need to know that we bring one another joy. Secondly, verse six, Paul goes on. I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. It is right for me to feel this way about you all because I hold you in my heart for you are all partakers with me of grace both in my imprisonment and in my defense and confirmation of the gospel. For God is my witness how I yearn for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. There's a second word of encouragement that Paul gives to his brothers and sisters here in Philippi. First he says, I'm so thankful for you. You bring me joy. And secondly, he says, I have so much confidence in what Christ is doing in you. Paul says he's gonna carry out and complete the work that he started in you. Don't we need to hear that sometimes as brothers and sisters in Christ? I mean, one of the greatest discouragements we face in our world is insecurity. I mean, we are riddled with insecurity. Does he like me? Does she like me? Are we friends? Am I accepted here? Do, do I matter here? There's so much insecurity in our world right now as things get deconstructed all around us, as the world seems to unravel due to COVID in many ways. There is such deep insecurity and everybody in our world is crying out for security. And right here, the Lord calls us as brothers and sisters in Christ to point one another to Jesus and say, look, I am so confident in Christ. He is doing something in you and he is going to complete it. You are secure in him. What he's doing in you is gonna be secured. It's gonna be completed one day when you're with him forever. That's what Paul is talking about here, about perusia is, is about eschatology, is about the day of the Lord when Christ will return. Paul sees this as a, a, a huge spectrum of life, not just this moment, but the span of our lives. And he says, I see Christ working in you. What if we were a church? What if we were a family? What if we were a people? What if we were a movement who constantly called out and spoke life into one another? When we see God doing something in somebody's life, it may be a hard thing, it may be a, an easy thing, it, it, it may be a beautiful thing, it may be a painful thing. I see what Christ is doing in you 
And I am confident, I know he is going to finish this work in you. Don't be discouraged. You're at the base of the hill after the hill. He's gonna help you to finish the race. He started the race through you and now he's gonna finish the race through you. And listen to Paul's affection in verse seven and eight. He says he holds them in his heart. He yearns for them with the affection of Christ, whether he's in his imprisonment or confirmation of the gospel. His brothers and sisters have been with him faithfully for the last 10 years in their partnership in the gospel, and he loves them, and he knows for certain Christ is working in their lives. And then lastly, there's a third word of encouragement. The first word of encouragement, again, is I'm thankful for you. You bring me joy. The second word of encouragement is I know I'm certain that Christ is going to finish this work in you. And then lastly, there's prayer. I'm with you and I'm praying with you through it all. Verse 9, and this is my prayer, Paul says, that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment so that you may approve what is excellent and so be pure and blameless. Again, for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through, Christ, through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Paul concludes, he says, this is the word of encouragement I want to give to you. He, and this is the word of encouragement I want to challenge us to give to one another. It's to say, I'm with you. I'm praying for you. You're not alone. I mean, there is deep isolation in our culture. I mean, being behind screens all day, being in our homes, some of us are feeling this who, have, who are bound to our homes. You might really feel isolated. Do you know what we need to hear as a word of encouragement? I'm with you. I love you. I'm praying for you. And I believe that the Lord is going to abound you, abound love in and through you, that's verse nine. He's gonna give you knowledge and discernment so that you can make decisions and you can approve what is excellent and you can be pure and blameless for the day of Christ. I'm praying for you. I'm praying for you, friend. I'm with you. And not just to say I'm praying for you, but to actually pray for the person. Maybe even pray for them on the spot. Take a moment to pray for them right there. This is his prayer, that they would abound in love and that their lives would reflect, again, we talked about this last week, the glory of God in Christ, that their lives would be like the image of God. They would be formed more and more to be like Jesus. We need this encouragement from one another, but the thing that is most astonishing about this entire passage is that for Paul, as he gives them this deep word of encouragement at the beginning of the letter, every single point of encouragement is rooted in the person of Jesus. This is not just empty, sort of hollow, you know, you bring me joy, you make me happy, you know, I, you know, I believe God's going to do something great in you. This, there is for Paul a deep rootedness in Jesus, who he is, and what he accomplished on the cross. He's saying, in Christ, I am thankful for you. Why, verse five, because the partnership in the gospel from the first day until now, okay? He says, I have confidence in what Christ is doing in you, not what you're doing unto yourself. And the prayer is that he's praying that Christ would continue the work in them. We can only encourage one another 
to the extent that we ourselves have received encouragement from Christ himself. That's why I love Philippians chapter two. We're gonna be studying this in a couple of weeks. Paul writes, if there's any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from his love, any participation in the spirit, any affection or sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. And then he goes on, he says, don't do anything out of rivalry, out of rivalry, but in humility count others better than yourself. And then he points us to this astonishing vision of Christ's humiliation. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, he did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he made himself nothing, taking on the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. This is one of the pinnacle passages in Philippians that we're going to be studying and coming back to over and over again to the extent that we ourselves have received encouragement from Jesus. To the extent that we have that he has spoken over us. I'm thankful for you. You bring me joy. To the extent that he is speaking over us that that we have received him speaking over us i'm going to complete the work that i started in you to the extent that we understand and know that christ is interceding for us he's praying for us at the right hand of the father is the extent to which we ourselves will have a resource to share words of deep real honest authentic encouragement to our brothers and sisters in christ there's a man a few years ago who penned these words that I think is an indictment and a challenging word for us as a church, but I think it's also a point of encouragement as many of us find ourselves at the base of the hill after the hill. He was asking the same question in a way, what will become of the church? There was a time when the church was very powerful, this man writes, in the time when the early Christians rejoiced at being deemed worthy to suffer for what they believed in those days, the church was not merely a thermometer that recorded an ideas and principles of popular opinion. It was a thermostat that transformed the mores of society. Whenever the early Christians entered a town, the people in power became disturbed and immediately sought to convict the Christians for being disturbers of the peace and outside agitators. <laughs> May that be who we become in the days ahead, downtown Hope. But Christians pressed on in conviction that they were a colony of heaven called to obey God rather than man. Small in number, they were big in commitment. They were too God-intoxicated to be astronomically intimidated. By their effort and example, they brought an end to such ancient evils as infinicide and gladiator, gladiatorial contests. Things are different now, and here's the call and the challenge for us. So often the contemporary church is a weak, ineffectual voice with an uncertain sound. So often it is an arch defender of the status quo. Far from being disturbed by the presence of the church, the power structure of the average community is consoled by the church's silent and often even vocal sanction of things as they are. But the judgment of God is upon the church as never before. If today's church does not recapture the sacrificial spirit of the early church, it will lose its authenticity, forfeit the loyalty of millions, and be dismissed as an irrelevant social club with no meaning for the 20th, and I'll add the 21st century. Every day I meet young people whose disappointment with the church has turned into outright disgust. 
And this was penned by another pastor who sat in a jail in Birmingham in 1963 named the Reverend Martin Luther King Jr. So this is the question for us. As we dive into Philippians in this next season and as we dive into the next season of what our church looks like, will we be found flourishing and beautiful or will we be found anemic? Will we be found laying on the ground at the base of the hill after the hill, wallowing? Or will we be empowered and strengthened by the Holy Spirit of God to press on? I am so thankful for you. I believe that Christ is going to complete the work that he has started in you. And I, even as I'll be away over the next several weeks, am going to be praying for you in our church, and I am so filled with hope for what's ahead. I actually, as I've been praying over this last week, I believe that part of why our church was planted was for this very season. I think God knew that from before he even, before the church was even planted. I think he knows our heart. I think he knows how imperfect we are. I think he knows our vision, I think he's given us that vision and I think he's gonna do something unbelievable in this next season. And so I wanna invite you to join me and join our team. Let's dive into God's word together. Let's be equipped further. Let's be empowered and let's be disturbers in the city. Let's foster and spark a revolution of love and renewal and restoration that flows through the gospel. Let's see by God's power lives transformed. When we were coming to the base of that hill, I remember in that race, I was almost in tears because I was like, I don't think I can make it to the finish line. And I looked up and I saw the most amazing thing. In the distance, at the very peak of that hill, I saw some people and they were standing along the side of the road and if you've ever run the Annapolis 10-miler, you know that at the end of the race, people, ordinary people, line the streets and they are just chanting and yelling encouragement out at the top of their lungs. They don't even know you. You're, you're just a stranger. And they're like, you can do this. We are with you. Finish strong. I mean, I can't even remember all the words they were screaming at us, but it was like as the people were shouting these words of, ex uh, of, of encouragement, it's like the energy relifted. It's like your legs got more flexible again. And there was a whole nother wave of energy that came. And it was like you start trucking up that final hill. And then it's just, then you're just running as hard as you can to the finish line in front of the stadium. That's a picture of who Christ has called us to be as a church in this next season. May we line the streets. May we line the streets of our church. May we line the streets of our city with these words of deep, profound encouragement that Paul begins the letter of Philippians to us with. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the simple things in life, like words, and how profound words of encouragement are and how deeply we need to hear these words spoken to one another, inspired and compelled by your incredible love and encouragement to us. 
And so may we be a people this week as we go who speak words of life to one another. Jesus, thank you for the call to press on in this season. Lord, I am sensitive to my brothers and sisters, many who are watching this, who are just tired, who have been through a hard season, and yet you, we believe, will finish the work that you began, and you will provide the resource and the energy and the power to press on in this season. Strengthen us, encourage us. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen.